0: This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfbolder.com. Good morning, everybody. I really wish we could all be here together, but we can't this morning. But today I'm going to talk about Walking with Jesus Through the Storms of Life. It's going to be based out of Matthew chapter 14. and uh, So I want everybody to turn their Bibles there, Matthew chapter 14. And the title of the message is Walking with Jesus Through the Storms of Life. And so, how many of you have ever tempted something in life, but have been met with total failure? How many of you have ever tried something for the Lord, but were met with failure? And by that, I mean, have you ever shared the gospel with someone and it just didn't go well? I know I have. You ever been around where they didn't want to hear what you had to say, and it ends up in an argument instead of the life-giving truth, the, the good news that you wanted to share with them? Or have you ever started a Bible study and no one showed up? (laughs) Except maybe your cat. And your cat basically slept through the whole study. Maybe you prayed for someone to get better who was sick. And they actually got worse or there was no change. I know that sometimes you've been places, I've personally been places, and I've prayed for people and nothing happened. And then they look at you and they said, well, you've prayed for other people and things have happened. How come nothing's happening to me? Well, if you've ever tried something for the Lord... For his kingdom and for his, for his glory, not your own glory. And it was met with failure. I got to tell you, this message today is for you. And I also want to tell you, thank you for even trying. Thank you for even stepping out. Thank you for even attempting to do something. You know, I would rather try something and fail than never do anything at all if we're not trying things, if we're not stepping out, if we're not testing the waters, then we're never giving God an opportunity to work in our lives. We're never giving God an opportunity to work through us. You know what? Failure isn't always a bad thing. Because with each failure precedes a success. We can actually learn from our mistakes. How many of us learn from our mistakes? You know what? Failure can teach us how to succeed. You look at the great inventors of the world. They tried and they tried and they tried and then they finally got it right. Do you think Orville and Wilbur Wright, the very first prototype they made, just instantly turned into a plane and the next thing you know they were flying people around? No, they had failure after failure, but each failure showed the flaws in the try before, and that's what brought the success. How many of us have heard the expression, if at first you don't succeed, try again? I want to tell you that I really believe what we should say is... If at first you don't succeed, you should relax. You should take a step back. You should look at what needs to be changed. But you know what? We're just like everybody around us. When we fail, we beat ourselves up. Why? is because we didn't come out with the greatest success of all times. When we try something and it doesn't work out, we are our worst critics. Why? Because we had figured it all out. We knew how it was going to turn out. But a lot of times it takes a process of elimination. Learning what not to do is better for us than learning what to do in the future i got to tell you, my life as a pastor, I have learned more from people's failures than I have from people's triumphs. When I meet with other pastors, when I meet with people that have been in the ministry a lot longer than me, I want to know the things that they would never do again. Why? Because I want to know where the potholes are. I do not want to fall in the same trap that they've fallen in. And so... I'm bringing this all up because here in Matthew 14, it's actually a story of failure. I've taught on this passage before, and this is a whole different spin because sometimes when we read stuff over and over, God shows different things. And God was showing me the failures. It's a story of failure. But it's one of the most spectacular failures of all times. See, it's the story of Simon Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. But I want you to remember, it's also the story of Simon Peter getting out of the boat and sinking. After he walked on the water. See, it's a story about how the Lord worked through these circumstances. And it has a lot to say about where we are today, right now. Today, right now, as we look what's going on around us. So let's look at Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. And it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on a high mountain by himself to pray. Now, when the evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went up to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And he cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had gone down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And he said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Isn't that a great text? So the question is, when you read this story, what do you learn from it? What do you get out of it? You know what? There's quite a few things. And the, the thing I picked up reading through it this time is... Number one is storms will come in your life. We all know that. You'll see the clouds start to darken. We'll hear the warnings of the weatherman. And we'll say, hey, I think a storm is coming. So many times storms will come at expected times. And other times, storms come absolutely out of nowhere. You know what? Talking about storms here is a metaphor. It's for the difficult times in life. What God is showing me is some of the storms we're going through right now are hardship. Storms of crisis. Storms of even tragedy going on around us. You know what? Storms are going to come in your life and there's no way to get around it. But there's different kind of storms, aren't they? I think in the Bible we're going to find three kinds of storms that people would experience. There's correcting storms, perfecting storms, and protecting storms. Correcting storms, perfecting storms, and protecting storms. So let's start with the correcting storm. These are storms that if we effectively bring, that we effectively bring on ourselves by the stupid things we do. How many of us can just sit back sometimes and say, wow, if I wouldn't have done that, this would have never happened. You know what? We do something wrong and it catches up with us. And then we have to face the consequences of it. And sometimes we say, why is this storm come upon me? Why is this storm came upon my life, came upon my family? And it's because of what you did. That's why. It's very simple. If you wouldn't have done A, then B would have never happened. The classic example of this in the Bible is the story of Jonah. You remember how the Lord called this Jewish man to go and bring the message of repentance to the great city of Nineveh? Now in Nineveh, they were the enemies of Israel. And Jonah reasoned, well, Lord, you know he is so willing to forgive, and if I preach to them, they will probably repent, and God will spare them. But guess what? If I don't preach to them, they won't repent, and God will destroy them, and it's one less enemy that we as the Jewish people have to worry about. So guess what? I'm not going to go. So he basically gets on a boat, going in the opposite direction, and what happened? What happened was a great storm came. It was so bad that even the seasoned sailors cried out to all their deities, crying out to their gods, crying out for deliverance. It was something worse than any of them had ever seen. And ultimately it was determined the storm has come as a result of the passenger on the boat. This new guy they had never met, Jonah. And what did they do? Being good sailors, they immediately threw him overboard. He was swallowed up by a great fish. And you know what? Everybody knows the rest of the story. But the whole point of why I'm bringing this out is that the storm came as a result of Jonah's disobedience. That would be a storm of correction. Maybe some of you right now are facing these kind of storms. You know you've been clever hiding your sin. You know you've been clever hiding what's going on. And no one has known about it. Sometimes for days, for weeks, for months, or maybe even years. Then all of a sudden, boom, you get found out. All of a sudden, the curtain is open. Everybody knows what you've been up to. you get totally humiliated. You get embarrassed. You're thinking this is the worst case scenario that could have ever happened to me. I want to suggest that maybe getting exposed is really a good thing. Hopefully for starters is that once it's out in the open, you can repent of it You can call it what it is. You can stop making excuses for it. You can stop doing it and you can leave it in your past. It's a good thing. You know what? If it remained undiscovered, you might continue this pattern, you might repeat this pattern. See, before, it was hidden, and the enemy was using that to hold you back. Sometimes other people were using that to hold you back. But now that it's come out in the open, it can be dealt with. Here's another thing to consider in what's happened to you in this storm. Is that really, it was a correction. Just like with Jonah, God is bringing stuff out to bring correction Why would he bring correction? Because it's a reminder that God loves you even in the midst of what you're doing. Even in the midst of what you're involved with right now. Even in the midst of what you're allowing yourself to be held back by. See, if God didn't love Jonah, he wouldn't have sent the storm. He would have just said, you know what, Jonah, I don't care about you. You can run from me, you can go away, and you can just do stuff on your own. But you know what? Because Jonah was God's man, the Lord wanted to get his attention, and the Lord wanted to bring him back on track, and the Lord wanted to use him for good. And so this kind of a storm is a storm where you reap your own consequences. The own consequences of your action have come back because God loves you and he wants you to get back on track with him. Hebrews 12.6 says, Don't be discouraged when God corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes those he accepts as his children. The very fact that you just get a heavenly swat is a reminder that God loves you, that God cares about you, that God knows who you are, and God knows what you're going through. See, the thing to be concerned about is when you can do things that are wrong and you don't feel any pain, you don't feel any conviction, When something's wrong, you don't have any remorse, you don't have any guilt, you're not feeling ill about it in any way. But you know what? When there's guilt, there's a conscience. And the conscience is kicking in. And you know what? That's the good news, is because that's the Lord saying, I am not going to let you get away with this, because you are my child. That's the kind of correcting storm I'm talking about. The next kind of storm we're going to talk about is the perfect storm. These storms don't come as a result of disobedience, but actually it may be the other reason. Because of our obedience, see the good example of this is Job. See, what was Job doing wrong when all the calamities befell him? Nothing. Zero. Nil. Nada. Job was doing nothing wrong and the storm came. And not only did the storm come, the storm came with all of its fury. In fact, he was doing so well that he was bragging, that God was bragging on him in heaven. God was bragging on him in the presence of the angel, angels and the presence of Satan himself. Remember when you read the story, he says, have you considered my servant Job? God went on to say that he's a perfect and upright man. The one that fears God and shuns all evil. You know what, when the attacks on Job began, these might, I don't know that they were designed, but I might say that they were allowed by God to bring about changes in his life. See, a perfecting storm is when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives. And you know what? We can't treat those kind like intruders, but we need to treat those kinds of storms like friends when those trials come in. See, James writes, realizing that they come to test your faith, to produce in you a quality of endurance... Let that process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find that you have become men of mature character, men of integrity with no weak spots. See, God had a purpose for some of those storms in our life. Maybe you're in a perfect storm right now. See, God has allowed that To make us more like Jesus. To perfect. To take off those rough edges. To take off those things that are holding us back. What's the end game of a perfecting storm? It's to make us more Christ-like. You know what, so often we quote Romans 8.28, but we forget the following Romans 8.28 is the verse Romans 8.29. So what does 8.28 say? It says, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Don't we love to quote that? See, the problem is we misunderstand what it's saying. Because the way we may see it is well when bad things are happening. It will always turn into a good thing because all things work together for good for those that love God. But in your life, has that been true? In your experience, has that been true? Of course it's not. There are some things that are bad things that God does turn into good things. But there are some things that are bad things that are always bad things that carry on through our whole entire life. So is that verse wrong? Absolutely not. Because see, we need to read verse 29 to understand the rest. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his own dear son. So what's the end game of these kind of storms? Is it to make us happy? No. It's to make us holy. And I got to tell you, is I really believe that as we walk more into holiness, as we walk more into what God has for us, as we walk more into his perfect will, that ultimately we are going to be happy. But you know what? It's all not about happiness. It's not all about an easy lifestyle. It's about becoming more like Jesus. So sometimes the bad thing that is going to happen, that's going to happen to you, you're going to see it turned into a good thing. Sometimes things that happen... Maybe in this life and maybe somewhere when you get to heaven, you're going to see that it was turned into a good thing. There's a story by uh, Chuck Swindoll in one of his books about a guy who was shipwrecked on an uninhabited island. <laughs> and he painstakingly built a little hut for his protection from the elements where he could keep a few items he managed to salvage from his shipwreck. And for weeks, the man lived in this little hut, surviving the hot days and the cold nights, praying that he would be found and praying that a ship would come. But no ship ever came. And one day, he was out looking for some food. And when he came back, much to his shock, the little hut had caught on fire and it burned completely to the ground and everything he had was in it. He couldn't believe his bad fortune. And so when he went to sleep that night, he was totally distraught about what had just happened. But when he woke up the next morning, there was a ship right there at this little island. And the captain of the ship said, we saw your smoke signal and we came to rescue you. You know what? Sometimes what we see is a disaster can sometimes be a smoke signal to heaven. Sometimes the things we think are ruining everything are actually a smoke signal to heaven. So they're correcting storms and they're perfecting storms. And there's also protecting storms. These might come as a surprise. This is what the disciples are facing. Because what have just happened? Remember what the verse started with. Immediately we read that Jesus wanted them to get into the boat and get to the other side. Why was he saying immediately? It's very prominent in the text. When you go back and you read the whole thing in context, it's because trouble was brewing on the other side of the sea. What was the trouble? People were saying they wanted to make Jesus king. That was the ultimate trouble. If people wanted to make Jesus king, that'd be a good thing, right? But it wasn't a good thing. Because we read back in verse 14, the people came by force to make Jesus king. See, effectively they were saying, you are going to be our king whether you like it or not. Why? Because you're the kind of king that we want. You know what they were looking? Raising the dead? That's a great thing for a king to do. Restoring the sight to the blind? That's a great thing for a king to do. Free meals? Now we're talking. They were saying, one, two, three, let's make Jesus king. Look at the kind of king we could have. See, effectively, they were using God to get what they wanted. When they started saying these things, immediately Jesus said, Get in the boat. Let's go. You need to leave now. Why would he say that? They were only proclaiming who Jesus really was. Why was he telling that to the disciples? Because this would destroy them. See, you got to remember that many times throughout this journey up to this point, they had argued over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. See, if Jesus was immediately king, they would go from rags to riches. They would go from fishermen to sitting at the right and left hand of the king. They would go from being ostracized to being men of great influence. It would have destroyed them. And for their own protection, he got them out of there as soon as he could. Sometimes there's going to be storms in our life that will come and they're going to be protecting us from something worse. Isn't that kind of hard to wrap your mind around? Is it possible that a hardship could ever be better than a success? Some of you are saying, well... This preacher told me God wanted me to be successful. He wants me to be healthy. He wants me to always find a parking place. He always wants me to be highly favored. I got to tell you, sometimes hardship can be better than success. You know what? There's so many things I would have never learned if I hadn't gone through the hardship. There are so many things that I've experienced that have changed me and shaped my life and shaped the way I look and I relate to other people. I would have never learned those things had I not gone through hardship. See, here's what we need to remember. He that stirred up the storm is in the hiding place within it. We need to realize that God will allow calamity to show each and every one of us his power. He was saying, Guys, I am delivering you from mega success, which would only destroy you at this time in your life. So you just need to get in the boat. And the reality was, they were not like kids not wanting to leave Elitches. You know, when we go to the amusement park, when your children go to the amusement park, it's not always the most fun for the parent. But it is fun. It's not fun when we have to pay. It's not fun when you have to pay $5 for a soda. It's not fun when you have to pay $10 for a hamburger. We're saying, what? How much? But you know what? When we look back at the exciting memories that happened I'm thinking about the last couple of years we've taken our granddaughter to Elychas and last year it was closed and it totally devastated her because she's watching every time the milestones. Measure me today and let me see how tall I am. How many more rides can I ride? And then when she finally gets tall enough to ride some of the rides, it doesn't open for the whole year. You know, it doesn't matter how crowded it was on some of those days we went. It doesn't matter how hot and how miserable. It doesn't matter how long the lines were. It doesn't matter if we were around rude people. You know what? When you're there, the kids want to stay. And honestly, we end up saying, we just want to leave. There's so much joy in the end when we look back. You know, the disciples had been ministering all day long, and they were like those parents, and... and The kids wanted to stay. The disciples wanted to stay. But Jesus was saying, you know what? Get in the boat. We're going to the other side. We need to understand that storms will come and there's no getting around them. Did Jesus know the storm was coming? Of course he did. But he who created it, or at least allowed the storm has actually been it himself. And you know what? He would be there with them. Number two we need to realize is Jesus is watching. You know what? When you're going through a storm, Jesus is watching. In verse 23, he sent the multitudes away and he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. But in Mark's gospel, it gives an important detail. Mark, in 6, chapter 6, verse 48, he said, He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them and Jesus was watching. When you hear that, how does that make you feel? For some of us, when we put on our glasses, we're saying, yeah, Jesus is watching. For others, it's like, oh no, Jesus is watching. For some of us, it's like he's watching and we're struggling and we shouldn't be struggling in this storm. And for others, it's like we're saying, oh, he's watching. Look at how well I'm weathering the storm. There's a story that Greg Laurie told at uh, one of the promise keepers. It was about a parrot and a thief who was breaking into the house. And so he said, so a thief was sneaking into a house in pitch dark. And he hears a voice piercing in the darkness. Jesus is watching you. He's freaking out. What? And he hears it again. Jesus is watching you. And he fumbles for his flashlight. And he gets it turned on. And it's a parrot. (laughs) The parrot's sitting there on his perch. And for a third time, the parrot says, Jesus is watching you. And the thief is laughing. (laughs) Oh, he was so relieved. It's just a parrot. But then he takes his flashlight and follows that perch down to its base. And right down at its base is a large Doberman with his teeth showing. And then the parrot says, Sick him, Jesus. Here's my point. (laughs) Is that How some people feel about Jesus is Jesus is watching you. And when they say that, they're saying, boy, are you in trouble now. (laughs) Jesus knows everything you're doing and he's watching you. But I got to tell you is, that's not the way it is. When Jesus is watching you, it's a good thing. When Jesus was watching over his disciples out there in the storm, it was a good thing. He was looking out for them. He wasn't looking at what they were doing. He was looking at the situations they were in. You know what? When you're raising kids, it's so much different being a parent and being a grandparent. Any grandparents out there watching, you know exactly what I mean. It's the way you look at kids. When they're your kids, it's like we say, look at me. Don't do that. But look at me. We're always trying to correct them, But you know what? With grandkids, we're always saying, oh, that's so cute. Even when they're doing something they shouldn't do. When the little kid's pulling all the books off the bookshelves, we're saying, oh, that's so cute. When they pour their juice over the top of the head, oh, that's so cute. See, I'm not saying that when God looks at us that he's approving of a disobedience. But what I am saying is that when a grandparent looks at a grandchild, they're looking at that child with love. Not that parents aren't, but they're looking at it from a totally different perspective. They're looking at it as a future generation. Regardless of what that grandchild is doing, there's such a greater love because it's not a direct impact on them or reflection on them. How many times are they saying, well, you used to do stuff like that when you were a kid. You're just getting back what you gave us. You know what? When Jesus is watching them and Jesus is watching you, Even though the disciples couldn't see Jesus, he never lost sight of them. They're way out there on the sea. They're in their boat. It's pitching back and forth, and Jesus is on the mountaintop praying for them. Here's the great news. Jesus is praying and interceding for you right now. He's praying and interceding for you right where you're at. We read in Romans 8.34, Who will condemn us? Will Christ? No. See, he's the one who died for us. He was raised alive, and he's sitting at the place of high honor next to the Father, and he's continually pleading for each and every one of us. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. You know what? Jesus hadn't forgotten about the disciples that he made get in the boat. Number three is, Jesus helps us in our storm. You know what? Jesus is there to help us in our storm. So after watching and after praying, Jesus comes to them. But when does he come to them? He comes to them at the very last moment. He comes to them at the end of their rope. He comes to them when they've given up. In verse 25 it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So when is the fourth watch of the night? Well, it's the last part of the evening just before the sun comes up. That means the disciples had been at the sea struggling this radical storm for probably more than nine hours. But then Jesus came. Why did he wait so long to come? We don't know that answer. It doesn't tell us. See, maybe he came late. But you know what? I don't think God ever is late. Sometimes to us, it may seem like he's late. But I think God is always on time. See, maybe he came to them, when he came to them, when they had completely exhausted all their energy, when they had completely exhausted everything they could do by their own power. How many times have you heard somebody say, when you get to the end of yourself, that's the beginning of God? See, a lot of times when we have hardships, we have a plan A. When that goes wrong, we have a plan B. When that goes wrong, we have a plan C. When that goes wrong, we have a plan D and a plan E. And then finally, you know, we can work it out. But you know what? When we reach our last plan, when we reach our last ditch effort, then we'll call out. How many times are we trying to do stuff on our own over and over and over again and then we finally kind out, call out? Have you ever found yourself in one of those places where you say, you know what? If God doesn't come through for me right now, it's all over. Some people would say, well, that's horrible. But you know what? It's actually not that horrible. Because it's an opportunity for God to show his glory. And for Jesus came to them when the time was right. Jesus came to them when there was no more for them to do on their own. See, when you talk to a lifeguard, both my brothers... (laughs) for years were lifeguards, and lifeguards know that there's a danger when they save a drowning person because when that person panics. So many lifeguards have lost their life, not because they couldn't swim, it's because the person that they're actually trying to save panics. That's one of the reasons they take that flotation device is they, they put that flotation device on that person and it isn't so much to save the person, it's to make sure that the person does not pull the lifeguard down. What they tell him is, here, you hang on to this and I'll pull you in. See, a lot of times the Lord waits on us until we get to this state. And then Jesus came to them at the very last moment. But he came to them when the time was just right. How did he come? In verse 24 it says, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I mean, just think about that. You know, if I was Jesus, I'd be like Superman and you'd fly in. Why, why spend all that time walking? You know, why did Jesus walk anywhere? Why walk when you can fly? Why walk when you can command? Let's see, why even get in a boat? You know what? Jesus didn't do this. Of course, he ascended in that moment, so he was flying. But you know what? Throughout his whole ministry, he walked just like everybody. He walked just like you and I. He faced exhaustion. He faced hunger. He faced lack of rest. He faced thirst. But when Jesus came walking to them on the water, why was he walking on the water? He was probably, my guess is he was walking on the water because he was walking on the very thing that they were afraid of at that moment. They were afraid of the wind and the sea. But you know what? With the wind and the sea, it became the very vehicle that took him right out to them. How did they react? Did they immediately lift their hands in praise and adoration and worship him? No. Actually, (laughs) it said they screamed. One of the translations says, they screamed like little girls. It's a ghost. A ghost, a ghost. Not like Casper the friendly ghost. Where did they get such an idea? It was Jesus. Why did they know it was Jesus? Because at that moment, they weren't looking for Jesus to show up. They were looking to die. They weren't looking for the Savior of the world, the one who had sent them on this journey, the one who had put them in the boat. They weren't looking for him to be in the middle of the storm. They were looking for the enemy to destroy them. How many times are we focusing more on what the enemy is doing than he who came to save us? See, a lot of times we're not looking for the Lord. See, if they had been walking by faith, it's easy for us to say sitting here today, but if they were walking by faith, they would have recognized him immediately because they wouldn't have been just looking past him, they would have been looking at him. They wouldn't have jumped to the false conclusion, they wouldn't have called him a ghost. They wouldn't have thought he's a disembodied spirit. They wouldn't have thought that it was an evil thing coming at him. See, so many times in the middle of our crisis, in the middle of our storm, we're pointing fingers and we're giving credit to the enemy and we're giving credit to these political people and these political people and these situations and, and these business owners. CEOs of corporations. But you know what? Jesus is always right there wanting to lead us. But you know what? We don't hear him and we don't see him. Why? Because we're not even looking for him. See, in our world today, we have so much chaos. We have so much instability. We have so much terrorism and war and threats of nuclear conflict. We have earthquakes. We have this current meltdown in the Middle East. What did Jesus say? When you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws near. Look for him. I was talking to somebody today. said, oh, look at everything that's going on. Jesus has to be coming soon. And they quoted the scripture. And I said, I don't want Jesus to come soon. All of you that have been here have heard me say it. There's too many unsaved people. I'm not praying for Jesus to come soon. You know what? If I die today, I know where I'm going. I think more and more when I read this scripture, it says when you see these things, your redemption draws near. Look to him just like they should have been looking to Jesus to come out on the water like he did. And at that moment, he wasn't taking him to heaven. He wasn't establishing his kingdom. He was showing them that he can calm the storm if nothing else in our life. And you know what? When we're calm, then those around us will be calm. Hebrews 9.28 says that he will appear a second time for those who are looking for him. Are you looking for him? If you're in a crisis right now, if you're being struggling, you just need to look for him. Why? Because he's right there. Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. In other words, he says, I have heard how you delivered the people of the Lord, but now I know you. See, Job had a realization. He had heard the stories, he had read the words, but now he was seeing the deliverance of God firsthand. Hmm. We need to realize. Job was saying, you know what? Hey, I've said these things. Yes, I've read these things. Yes, I've shared these things. But now I see these things with my own eyes. Now I know it. Now I'm experiencing it. Now I'm expecting it to happen. You know, that's the thing that's going to happen in the midst of the storm. That's the thing that's going to happen when we're right there in his presence. The Lord's going to come to us in a way that we've never known him before. the way we've always read that it's true, the way we always knew it was true, but we've never experienced that truth. He's going to do exactly what he promised to do. You know what is real easy to someone who's lost their job to say, just trust in the Lord, my friend. The Lord's going to provide because his word says so. It's really easy to say to someone who's sick, (laughs) well, you know that by your stripes you're healed. The Lord's going to help you through this crisis. He's going to use this crisis you're going through to his glory. Sometimes we say that to ourselves. It's really easy to say to someone who's lost a loved one, Well, you know you're going to see them again when they're in heaven. But do you say the same thing to yourself when it happens to you? So many times we have all the answers, but you know what? When the rubber meets the road... When those same things happen to you, do you do what you've asked other people to do? Do you do and walk in the promises that you've quoted to them? You know what? I know it's true. You know what? I've seen God do miraculous things. I've seen God come through in people's lives. I've seen God restore marriages, restore lives, restore Body parts. That's why I keep sharing. So when Jesus shows up, what does he say? He says in verse 27, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. The word cheer is a better translation of being courageous. It's saying, hey... Why don't you guys come up here for a moment? You're okay, I'm with you. Be of good courage. You don't have to be scared anymore. And Peter's so moved by the statement that he wants to prove his courage to Jesus, and he makes an amazing statement in verse 28. Lord, he says, if it's you, tell me to come right now. You know what? Peter was willing, right there in that verse, Peter is willing to put it all on the line. He's willing to say, God, if you said it, I'm going to do it. You know what? These are rough seas. You've got to remember. They were struggling just to row through them, and Peter's saying, here I am. If this is really you, I'm going to step out. He was willing to put it all on the line. Why was he willing to put on the line? Because he was looking at Jesus. That gave him all the confidence. That gave him all the courage. But I want you to notice something else in this passage. He didn't do it presumptuously. He said, Lord, if you tell me to come, I'm going to come. I would think that Jesus was probably smiling. He just said, Peter, come. Now, did Peter sink? Of course he did. But you know what? We're going to fail. That's the way we do it. We're going to fail. He started out with his eyes on Jesus, but when he got part way out there, what did he do? He noticed those waves. And he wasn't in the safety of the boat that he was scared of just a few minutes before. You know what? This was a spectacular failure on Peter's part. He was watching Jesus. He was walking on the water. And then he sunk down. There was no reason for him to sink. You know what? He made a great mistake. He made probably one of the greatest mistakes. But it's also very impressive. See, all Peter's shortcomings, when you read through his whole entire story, they they, they all seem to come from the heart. Every time Peter failed, it just came from the heart. You know what? His actions weren't always good. On the Mount of Transfiguration, here's Jesus. He takes Peter, James, and John with him up. They go up to the mountain. It begins to shine like the sun. They see Elijah. They see Moses. Peter wakes up from his sleep, sees this amazing sight, sees what's going on, and Peter decides to say these. He didn't know what to say. If you don't know what to say, it's time to zip it and just see what God is doing. It's better to be silent than thought of a fool and open your mouth and dispel all doubt. But what did Peter say? It's good we're all here. He looks up and he sees them there. They're having a conversation. And he says, but let's build three tabernacles here. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one, of course, for Jesus. You know, what was Peter saying? He was saying, Lord, this is fantastic and we need to make a monument right here. You know what? He shouldn't have said anything. He should have just watched and paid attention. He should have listened to what was going on. He was standing in the very presence of God, of Jesus himself, in a glorified state. When they're sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was arrested Peter pulls out his sword and starts to swing and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus picks up the guy's ear and heals it. And he tells Peter, put away your sword. He says, if I wanted to stop him, I could have called 12 legions of angels. They would have came and delivered me. You know what? The point is, is Jesus was trying to defend Jesus, but he wasn't listening to what Jesus had to say. Jesus didn't need his help. You know what? It seems like Peter all the time was trying to do the right thing. I don't read about anybody else trying to defend Jesus. It was just Peter. Then in the courtyard of Caiaphas, Peter didn't deny once or twice. He denied him three times. See, Peter got up close. Peter was noticed. John was there. Where were all the others? They were all hiding, but Jesus wanted to be right there. Peter wanted to be right there with Jesus. See, Peter wanted to do the right thing. But he wasn't going about it in the right way. Verse 29 says, He got out of the boat and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now this was a great moment. Once he gets out of the boat, it can't be undone. See, we can't find fault with Peter because no one else even attempted it after Jesus said to come to him. We can sit, you know, we can be armchair quarterbacks, we can say, oh, they should have done this, they should have done that. We can critique people that are trying to do God's work. But you know what? It's really easy to critique people who are actually doing the work, people who are out there leading, people who are getting out of the boat. It's so easy to critique people and say, see where you failed, see where you dropped the ball. You shouldn't have done it like that. You should have done this a little bit better. You should have taken this approach. When people say, so-and-so did it this way, if I was to be brutally honest, sometimes I just want to tell people, just shut up. What are you doing? It's easy to critique all these people. It's easy to talk about sinking in the water, but you stayed in the boat. What are you doing right now with your life? It's easy to point at all the things that are going wrong, but are you doing what God called you to do? Are you getting out of the boat? Are you following after? Are you pressing in close? Are you even in a place where people can call you out like they called out Peter? He's a follower. What have you done lately? Where have you stepped out lately? Where have you been out of your comfort zone? What risk are you taking right now for the kingdom of God? What steps of faith are you stepping out of your comfort zone? Have you ever done anything besides criticize and critique what everybody else is doing. So many times we're pouring cold water on people who are actually getting out and trying to do something because it doesn't turn out the way they thought it was going to be. You know what? That's not what we want to do. That's not where we wanted to be. You know what? What Peter was doing, it was a good thing. You know what? It went well for Peter for a while until he started to sink. The bottom line is Peter sunk the moment he took his eyes off Jesus. When he put him on other things, when he put him on the things that were going on around him. He took his eyes off Jesus and he put his eyes on other things. In verse 30 it says, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. You know what? When we're caught up in circumstances, we can be afraid. It can be frightening. When your boss calls you in and says, sorry, we have to downsize in this economy. COVID is shutting everything down. You've been a good employee, but I'm going to have to let you go. When the doctor calls and says, you know what? We've ran all your tests and this is not going to be good news. When the attorney calls and says, Somebody's filing a lawsuit against you. When someone says, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to harm you. You know what? They're scary things and they can devastate us and they can have us take our eyes off the Lord. But you know what? It clearly says Peter sunk because he was afraid. See, faith gives way to fear. Trust gives way to worry. Where faith reigns, fear has no place. Where fear reigns, faith is driven away. Faith and fear don't like each other. Do you know people who don't get along? Maybe you have families so you don't, want these people to be around these people we don't invite these people when these people are coming why because we know there's going to be an argument it's like oil and water they just don't mix you know what that's the way faith and fear are you bring in faith and fear is walking out the back door you invite fear and it becomes a resident and faith has to drive away So here's what happened to Peter. He had faith and his eyes were on Jesus and he was doing the impossible. And then a strong wind. It didn't say that a great white shark was coming out of the sea. It just said a strong wind. You know what? When circumstances come, we start to sink. Maybe it's happening to you right now. Maybe things that are going on right now, we're we're crying out, Lord, save me. We're crying out, God, we got to get out of this boat. we we got to move on. You know what? God is calling each and every one of us to do things for him. And we need to keep our eyes focused on what he is doing. We can no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves. We need to step out and be all God has called us to be. It's a time to stop criticizing, and it's a time to stop listening to criticism. It's a time to be plugging into what God is doing. It's a time to be, even if we're not the one out there doing it, we can't be critiquing people. We need to be their greatest cheerleaders. We need to get behind the people that are bringing forth the kingdom, and we need to be a part of what's going on. So I just want to end right now by praying. And Lord, I just pray right now that faith would be built in each and every person. Lord, that we would keep our eyes upon you, that we continue to look to you for each and everything you're doing. Lord, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I just thank you for who you are and what you're doing. I thank you for what is going on right now in the kingdom. And Lord, I would ask that you help us keep our eyes focused not on the storm, but on the creator of the universe. Lord, don't let us focus on COVID. Don't let us focus on politics. Let us focus on you and what you're doing in this time. Lord, may you give each and every person here, Lord, the faith to step out and be all they've called to be. Lord, may we no longer have pew sitters, but may we have people who want to go and bless. Lord, may we be servants to our communities and not thinking that the communities should come and bow to our feet, Lord. Show us how to be servants. Show us how to change the places where you've put us. And even though you've put us in the middle of storms, Lord, I know that where you're at and where you've placed us, there is peace. So Lord, strengthen each and every one of us to walk in that fullness. Amen. Thank you for joining. Have a great day.